such a blessing to, to get to know some of the folks in our community that are playing in the background and being such a blessing to those around us and then to, to be able to, to celebrate together, just seeing what generosity can do and how God's love can enter into our community. So thanks for all of you that partner uh, with us in that. It is an amazing joy every single month. Uh, it is good to be with you guys this morning, those that are here and brave the weather and those that are online joining us as we wrap up a a great series through a small book called Jonah. And before we dive any further, let me pray for us. God, we do thank you. Uh, we thank you that we can gather together as your people and that we can celebrate um, being able to, to spread your love and your mercy and your grace in the community. Uh, thank you for the service station and the work that they're doing um, with a, a subset of the population that doesn't get loved on that much. God, thank you for meeting with us, and now as we open up your word, we also open up our hearts and pray that you would speak into us, Spirit, do your work in us so that we can leave here challenged and changed today. Uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but this little series has been quite challenging and convicting. It's been up in my face the entire three weeks that we've been in there because what I've realized is that there is more than a little bit of Jonah that resides in me, and maybe you have found that in your own life as well. Uh, we'll be in Jonah chapter 4 as we wrap this up today, if you guys want to make your way there. Uh, and as you're doing that, I want to get us caught up a little bit. Maybe this is your first time joining us, or maybe you just have a bad memory. I want to get you caught up to speed on what we've learned so far uh, about Jonah. Uh, and today is going to take a very dramatic twist. Um, so it starts off with this guy Jonah, and he is a very reluctant, very resistant, and rebellious prophet of God. And God tells him to go to Nineveh. This is the capital city of Assyria. These are the arch enemies of, of Israel, and they have been bullies the entire time for decades. Uh, and these are vicious, vicious people. If you think of modern-day ISIS, that is what the Assyrians would have been like. They are, are wicked people, bad people. And God tells Jonah to go to them and announce his judgment on uh, the Assyrians, and particularly the Ninevites, for their wickedness and their sin. But Jonah doesn't do that. He runs the other way. He runs from God's plan. He runs from God's mission for his life. And what we learned that first week was we've all done that. I mean, sometimes in big ways, sometimes in, in small ways, we have resisted and run from God and his commands. We, we track with Jonah because we know what it's like to, to stiff-arm God and to say, no, I'm not going to do that. God, I hear clearly what you're telling me to do, but I'm not going to do that. And while we may run from God, we can never outrun God because one of the messages of, jo of Jonah it's the same message of the entire Bible, is that God is the kind of God who's always pursuing you with this relentless love. If you hear nothing else, hear this. No, no matter what you've done, no matter what your sin is, no matter the depth of your hypocrisy, it doesn't disqualify you from God's love. He is still relentlessly chasing after you, even if you are running from him. And when you finally hit that brick wall, or when you hit rock bottom, or, or you are tired of running, the great news is this, that God still has a purpose. He still has a plan. He still has a mission for your one and only life. And if we will turn to him, if we will return to him, he's waiting for us. Because he is a God of second chances. He is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Well, and that's what God does for Jonah. Jonah hits rock bottom in the, the belly of this great 
fish and he returns to God and, tell, and God tells him, listen, my, my plans still haven't changed. I, I know you, you took this long detour and you may think that I'm finished with you, but I'm not. I still have a purpose for your life. Now go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah goes uh, to Nineveh and he goes into the city square and, and he is so bitter that, that he has to give this message to his arch enemies that, that he gives uh, the most hellfire and brimstone sermon ever. He, he's like a, like a sandwich board prophet. And he goes in and he preaches this eight-word sermon. He says, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. No good news. No mention of God's name. No, God loves you. No, God will forgive you. Just destruction. Now, how do you think that kind of message would play out in your hometown? Well, that's exactly how Jonah thought it would work out, but it didn't go that way. The entire city repents, and I think that Jonah is shocked. It worked? I, I'm their enemy. I'm a, a Jewish guy that they don't know from Adam. I walk in, tell them that there is a God who's going to destroy them, and it worked? The Ninevites respond. They their hearts are broken by the Spirit of God and the entire city turns from their sin. And they repent as best as they know how. They, they go into the, the king issues this decree and they have this time of fasting and praying and wearing sackcloth. They even put sackcloth on their animals. They don't know what to do. They don't know what is acceptable to God. So they just do whatever they can. And God hears their prayers and he sees their true repentance and then chapter 3 ends with God saying, or with Jonah relaying to us, that he, God had compassion on them, and he did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. And man, that would be a great way to end this book. The God of the second chance. He has grace on the Ninevites. He forgives. Jonah ends up being the, this broken hero. And what we learn is that we too can be broken and that God can still do great things through us. Jonah is rescued. The, the Ninevites are rescued. And they lived happily ever after the end. That would be a fantastic way if it ended in Jonah chapter 3, but it doesn't. It takes a very strange twist. And this chapter here is going to, to peel back some things probably in our own hearts, some layers for us as believers, that, and we're going to have to be forced to look at some things in our lives, in our hearts, that maybe we don't want to do. I think of all of the Old Testament stories. Jonah is probably the most convicting one for me because, again, I think there is a lot of Jonah that resides and me, and maybe so in you as well. So Jonah chapter 4 begins this way. It says, This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. Now that's a strange response for this prophet of God. I mean, this entire city repents of their wickedness, and they turn to God, and we would expect that God's man would be exploding with joy about this life-changing behavior that's happened but it says that he's upset that God changed his mind. You ever get that way with God? They'd ever get mad or frustrated because God doesn't do what you thought that he would do? You had a plan for college or graduation. You had a plan for, for your marriage or for a job and it didn't happen. 
and you get disappointed, you get upset, and now you're angry at God. I think some of the deepest disappointments that we go through in life are when God doesn't do what we think that he should do. And that's where Jonah is. He wasn't expecting God's response. In this next verse, we, we find out why it is that, that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. In verse 2, it says, So he complained to the Lord about it. He says, Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. He says, God, I, I knew you were going to do this. I knew all along that you were going to do this. This is exactly like you. You see, Jonah ran from God not because he was afraid of the Ninevites. He ran because he was afraid that God would act like God. And he had perfect theology. He knew exactly the character of God. He says, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate. I, I knew that you were a God of second chances. And that you were slow to get angry. And that you were patient. And that your love never fails. And that you would rather forgive than condemn. And he's using all of this language as an insult to God. He's mad at God for being so good. Because he's like the Ninevites. Really God. You, I knew that this is what... I mean the Ninevites? Why, why are you pouring out this kind of goodness and kindness on the Ninevites, don't they, don't they, shouldn't they be getting what they deserve? They, they deserve your wrath. They, they deserve justice. I walk in, tell them that they are doomed, and they repent, and now you're just going to let them off the hook? <laughs> really, God, that's what you're going to do? I knew that you were that kind of God, but I didn't think that you were going to do that for them. You let me down. I, I was thinking destruction, you were thinking grace. I, I was thinking justice, you were thinking mercy. And then our man Jonah throws this good old-fashioned conniption fit. And he has quite the flair for the dramatic. It, this is kind of like the toddler in, in Kroger's when he throws this big old fit in the middle of it. Verses 3 and 4, it says, Just kill me now, God. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. And the Lord, repri the Lord replied... Is it right for you to be angry about this? And the emphasis is on you. Really, Jonah? Do, do you have any right to be angry at my goodness? What, wasn't it just a few weeks ago that you needed my kindness? Everything that Jonah is calling into question, everything that he despises about God, he has experienced himself. He has experienced God's mercy and compassion and patience and love. And Jonah didn't have a problem receiving any of those characteristics when he was sitting in the belly of the fish. There is no one in this entire story that has received more grace than Jonah. And yet, what he wants is for God to be selective in who it is that receives his grace. He's resentful that God is showing mercy and forgiveness to somebody he doesn't like. He's resentful that God is showing forgiveness to his enemies. If you're taking notes, I think that this is something we need to understand. This is Jonah's trap. Wanting forgiveness for yourself and justice for your enemies. 
It's easy at this point, if we're reading this story, to stand in judgment of Jonah, going like, dude, seriously, man, can't you see what's going on? Chill out. But let's not leave this just in a story that was written thousands of years ago. Let's talk about us. Who are our Ninevites that we want to see get what they deserve? That we want justice for, but not forgiveness. Think about this. How how would you feel if God offered mercy, that he offered forgiveness and grace to your biggest enemy, your ex, or that coworker who stabbed you in the back, or, or that boss, or that person that hurts you the most? What if God extended mercy to them and they repented and their sins were washed away? and their souls were cleansed, and their past was forgiven. How would you feel about that? Because that's what this story is calling into question. That's what it's getting at. Are are you really okay with God being gracious to everyone the way that he has been gracious to you? It wouldn't take long if I were to ask you to bring to mind your enemy. There are people that hurt us last year, last month, five years ago, ten years ago, and you're still holding on to that resentment. This is the Jonah trap, and this is what happens when we think that they don't deserve forgiveness or grace. We see their sin or their issue in a different category, and that God should treat it differently than he treats ours. See, if we find ourselves thinking those kinds of thoughts like God sick them if we start getting resentful when God seems to be blessing people in ways that we don't think that they deserve we are falling into this trap and that's a very dangerous territory if there is a spirit of of unforgiveness in us towards others it's an indication that we are out of touch with God's grace in our lives You and I might get angry at God and say, God, how could you forgive them for what they did? And God could very easily turn around and say, how can I forgive you? Yeah, it is true that your enemy doesn't deserve his mercy, but neither do you, neither do I. Mercy and grace are not for those who deserve it, but precisely for those that don't deserve it. Here's something that that we should get wrecked with. I mean, this scandalous nature of God's grace, where he is just dispensing it wherever he chooses, it should actually be a huge encouragement in our lives. Because here's the good news that is tucked into this great little book of the Bible. If God can show mercy to a city full of violent and vile people like the Ninevites, then he can show mercy to you as well. And if God cares about the person who has hurt you the most, then it's actually proof that he also cares about you. That that God's love really is unfailing. That it really is relentless. That it is constantly pursuing you no matter what. That's the good news of God's grace. That we are all Ninevites that we are all sinners in need of God's grace. And what this story shows is is that those of us who have received his grace 
should also be the first to give it as well. Well, our man Jonah's not quite there yet. He's still stewing at God's grace towards his enemy. In verse 5, it says, Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city, and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to that city. And the fact that, that he goes out to the east side is actually very significant because the way back home to Jerusalem would have been to head west and then south. So here it is, this picture of Jonah, he's, he's still running. He is still rebelling. He is pouting. So he climbs up this hill and he builds a little shelter. Uh, and he's hoping, he's still hoping that God is going to condemn them. So he finds this great spot up on a hill so that he can have a great seat to watch the fireworks happen. There are some major, major heart issues going on in Jonah's life right now. And so while he's waiting for God to do what he's going to do, God continues to work on Jonah's heart through this object lesson. In verse 6 it says, And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. And this eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. This idea of God arranging, we, we have seen over and over again throughout, uh, throughout the story of Jonah that God is the one who's at center stage, that he is orchestrating everything that's happening in our lives. And God, in his grace, provides this tree, this plant, that gives Jonah some shade. And this is the first time that Jonah is actually happy. The first time in the story that Jonah is happy. The only time that he was happy about God's plan was when it benefited his comfort. Does that sound familiar for us? The only time that Jonah was happy was when God's plan lined up to bring him comfort. Jonah's going, I, I don't care about all those people, but I have some shade right now. I have some comfort, and so I'm happy. Stories can get pretty convicting right here. It says, but God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. And then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. God is still trying to get the attention of Jonah. Jonah, I, I'm trying to teach you something here, bud. And Jonah still isn't hearing it. He is still not learning anything. The last words of Jonah the prophet are, I'm angry enough to die. He is stubborn to the very end. And then God speaks to him. And here is the moral of the whole story. Here's where the mirror comes up in front of us. Here is where we have to take a long, hard look at our own lives, at our own hearts, and ask some tough questions of ourselves. It ends this way. It says, then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? You're upset about a plant. A, a plant that 
I provided. It came and it went and brought you a little bit of comfort. And, and you are more upset about losing your shade than the city of Nineveh that has more than 120,000 people that don't know their left hand from the right. They're just walking around in spiritual darkness. And you have no concern for them. And then God says something kind of funny here. He says, not to mention all of the animals. I, I don't know why that's in there. It's like they, God and Jonah are having this really serious conversation, and then he throws in the cattle. I mean, it's almost like in my mind, I'm like, has he just taken a jab at, at Jonah a little bit? It's like, oh, it seems like you're really concerned about the nature, about, about the natural things of, of, of this world, the, the plant and the leaves. And so even if you're not concerned about the people of Nineveh, can you at least be a little concerned about the cattle? Your attitude about these people is like they're less than cattle, Jonah. Yeah, I mean, you don't even care if they get slaughtered. And then he asked the, the question. God says, shouldn't I feel sorry for that great city? And here we see very clearly God's mission laid out. God's mission is that everyone should come to salvation. He's saying, Jenny, you are concerned about all of the wrong stuff. You're concerned that the, that the Ninevites won't get what they deserve. You want judgment. You want condemnation. Do, do you know what I'm concerned about, Jonah? My concern is that nobody gets what they actually deserve. Jonah, that, that's why I, I sent the fish to get you back to Nineveh. That's why I, I rescued you from the belly of the fish, and that's why I sent you to Nineveh. I want you to partner with me, Jonah. I, I want you to let others know the way to salvation, that if they don't turn, that they will be away from me, that they will receive that punishment, and I don't want anybody to get what they deserve. But you're too wrapped up in your own world. You're too wrapped up trying to chase after your own comfort and you have missed it. You have missed my mission for your life to partner with me to send out the message of salvation. And that's the end of the story. It ends with God sharing his heart for people and trying his best to turn his prodigal prophet back towards his plan for his life. And we don't know what Jonah's response was. It just ends right there. <laughs> you, you, you get to the end of it, like, okay, there's a cliffhanger there. You kind of flip over to Micah. and goes like, does it finish over in Micah or something? <laughs> what happens with Jonah? Well, I think it ends that way for a reason. The writer of Jonah didn't intend to tell us about Jonah's response, but to put God's question clearly in our laps. The point of the story is that you and I also have a choice to make. Will I prioritize God's concern or my comfort? Jonah was more concerned about a stupid vine than the fates of the Ninevites. He's looking down on this city of 120,000 people who just began a life-changing relationship with God, and he doesn't care. All that he's concerned about is his own comfort. The bottom line of this book and the bottom line of, of the entire uh, story arc of Scripture is that people matter to God. I wish there was a little more eloquent way of saying it, but they, uh, that's the bottom line truth of Scripture, that people matter to God, all people. 
He, God doesn't see in, in categories. The homeless guy, the jobless guy, the wealthy and successful guy, the, the mean and spiteful guy, all people matter to God. And, and when one of them is separated because of a rebellious and sinful heart, it tears him up. It, it breaks his heart to see the people that he has created living in rebellion and away from him. Do our hearts break for the same things? And then suddenly the, this gets really personal because there's a lot of Jonah in me. And if I'm honest, there are more times than I want to confess that I choose my own comfort, that I choose my own convenience over God's concern for people. And it's not that I hate people. I mean, obviously, I love people. I'm concerned about them, generally speaking. But when the rubber meets the road in everyday life, what's most concerning to God can get overshadowed but what is about from things that I feel are most comfortable for me, and I'm ashamed of that. And just like Jonah, we, we tend to get more upset and more wrapped up in these temporary things of, of life, these passing circumstances that aren't, aren't going to matter by the end of the week or the end of the year or end of 10 years, much less for eternity. We, we can get more concerned about the service at a restaurant than the person who's actually serving the food. We, we can get more upset about a car repair than we are the mechanic who's doing the work. We can get more upset about something at the office. Somebody sets us off in some way than the co-workers that will spend eternity somewhere. We can get more concerned about our 401k balance or, or the way that, that our house looks or our, our golf handicap or, or what people might think of us than partnering with God to achieve his mission in this world with the one and only life that we have. Why is that? Because there's a little bit of Jonah in us. God's message to Jonah was, you've made your life about chasing after temporary comfort you're concerned about the wrong things and I wonder if he can't say the same thing to us today at times that the greatest use of your life is to invest it in something that will outlast it and there are all kinds of ways to waste a life there, there are all kinds of ways to spend a life to spend our time a day at a time or we can choose to invest our life. And the greatest use of our time is to invest our lives, invest our time in something that will last beyond our life. And there are only two things that will last forever. There's God's word, and there are people. So if you want to invest your life in something that will outlast it, spend time getting God's word in your mind and in your heart and then use your time, use your influence to get people into God's family, to get people into eternity, to maybe uh, bring it into our lives. We'll rephrase that last uh, verse of Jonah 4, but the Kanawha Valley has more than 150,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Shouldn't I be concerned for those people? 
God says to us what he said to Jonah. I'm concerned about people. What are you concerned about? God's saying, I'm concerned about your neighbors. I'm concerned about your your family members. I'm concerned about your boss and your coworkers. I'm concerned about people. What are you concerned about? God is inviting us to be a part of his mission. He's inviting us to reach our friends, to reach our our neighbors with the best news ever of this God of relentless love and grace and mercy. And we don't need to overcomplicate this. Just look at your normal routine. Who are the people in your current circle of influence? You don't need to think beyond that at this point. Who's the coworker, the hairdresser, the baseball coach, the, the family that sits beside you in the stands at the ball games or the dance recitals, the, the neighbor across the street? Who is it that is currently already in your life that God has arranged to be a part of your life? So here's my challenge for us. Make a list of, of five people. Five people that, that, again, you already have influence in their life. You're already in their life. You know their names. They know who you are. Who are five people that perhaps God has brought into your life to point them to him? And you don't really know where they are in their walk with God. Make that list. And then begin to pray a couple of things. Pray first for, for our own hearts. Pray, God, what? change me, challenge my heart so that I begin to see people the way that you do. So I begin to see my life the way that you see it. So that I can partner with you on your mission. And then pray for opportunities. Say, God, open up an opportunity. Open up a, a way for me to build a bridge into their life. For me just to show love for them so that eventually I can have a conversation about who you are. And then when he does, be bold. Be courageous. Know that you are now partnering with him to accomplish his mission in this world and take that step through the open door. Let me pray for us. God, you know us. You you know our hearts. We want to be used by you, but God, it is so easy to get distracted And we just kind of drift into this attitude of elevating or or prioritizing our comfort and our convenience in this short life that we have to the neglect of having our heart break for what breaks yours. God, would you do a work in our hearts so that what most concerns you will begin to most concern us and that we can begin to see the days that we have as true gifts from you to be used by you to influence people in your direction God help us to see the relationships that you have already arranged in our lives for what they are it's an opportunity to share the love of Christ with those that are around us So God, bring to mind those people that that you want us to reach out to and then give us the courage and the boldness to do it. God, people matter to you. Help that be our heart's cry as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.